Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. It's been my honor to be the Bible teacher at this ministry for over 20 years. This is a program of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life, here in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. We've been looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul has said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That word salvation has a whole package of information within it that we don't have time to explore, but we can say this. Negatively, the gospel has the power to save us from sin's guilt, from sin's defilement, from its bondage, and also from its punishment. But there's a positive side as well, which we want to begin to explore just now. That's a picture of what sin does. The Bible says that the God of this age also holds us in chains because he holds us by the power of our own sins. And he uses it to manipulate us and control us and bring us into bondage. And not all of your promises to be better the next time, not all of your efforts will ultimately free you from the chains of your sin, but you're rescued from the chains, the bondage of your sin. You're also rescued from its punishment. That punishment is described to us in the Bible. It's a punishment of alienation from God. Our sins separate us from God. So Ephesians 2.1 says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And that's a picture of those who are outside of faith in Jesus Christ. It's the spiritual condition of all people. Their sin has created upon them a separation from God. So we're delivered from the punishment of sin. And the first punishment is alienation from God. And then we're delivered from the wrath of God against sin. His antagonism towards sin. And We might say that God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. But actually, the Bible says that God kind of hates the sinner too. Sin has so embroiled itself and connected itself to it, so indelibly lit up into our lives and our souls and our very beings and our spirits that makes us the objects of his wrath. The Bible says that. It's a part of what sin brings to us. And when we're saved, God saves us. God delivers us from himself and his own wrath. The salvation also saves us from the punishment ultimately of unending, everlasting death and destruction that our sin brings upon us. Positively, this is what salvation does for us. It not only takes us and rescues us from these things, but it rescues us into something. It rescues us into a state of complete righteousness. We are declared right before God. You'll never be able to put yourself right by all the rules that you follow by all the laws that you obey, by all the times you attend church, by all the singing that you offer, no matter how loud you sing, by all the genuflecting and prayers that you make, and none of it will make you righteous, not in one way. But God can put you right because he wants to give to you the credit of the perfect, sinless righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he wants to clothe you and make a possessor of that righteousness. So he clothes you with all of his goodness, and you stand before him right, right with God. And then it's saved unto holiness, God not only makes you right, but God sets you apart and he infuses you with his own power and life so that you can rise above the challenges and you can rise above the frailty of your own flesh and the temptations of the enemy to live a life that honors him and glorifies him. And, and then God not only saves you into holiness, but he saves you to a state of freedom. In Galatians 5.1, Paul says of the Christian that we're to stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free. So we're no longer bound to live on the trajectory that we were living on before. We are now free to worship God and live for God and glorify God and 
We're released from the bondage that we're held to by Satan himself and the bondage that we're laid to by the influences of other people. Paul said in another place, I'm free from all men. Their influence is not what guides me and directs me. We're even free from the frailty of our own flesh because Jesus would live within us the vitality of his own life. And he would express and he would lead us to fulfill the very purposes that God made us for when we were created and we were made. And instead of punishment, we're saved into a state of blessedness. That's the last thing. So we're into a state of righteousness and a state of holiness, into a state of freedom and to a state of blessedness. And that blessedness is instead of alienation from God, we have fellowship with God. Instead of wrath from God, we experience the love of God. Instead of eternal and everlasting death, we're brought into a gain of everlasting life. That's salvation. That's what God gives us. It's something that really is not so hard to comprehend or understand because the weight of all those other things are being pressed upon individuals by the Spirit of God. Let's look at two more things here. The fourth observation is simply this. This power of God, this gospel power we're reading here in this text can save anyone. It can save anyone. The gospel alone actually must save anyone, even the Jew and even the Greek. And that's why it says first to the Jews and then to the Greeks. There was a bit of a pecking order in that day and age. At the very top of the heap of all the different national identities were the Greeks and the Jews. The Greeks had all the philosophers. The Greeks had all the best thinkers. The Greeks actually had an idea that it was from the soil of Greece that humans came to be and they came into existence. And so the Greeks felt themselves to be, in a sense, the epitome of everything that a human being should be. It all kind of dissipated. It all got a little worse the further and further you got away from the soil of Greece. And as further and further you got away from that place and that point of origin and the Jews countered that by pointing out that they were the chosen people of God. They could point to their own lineage. They could trace their way all the way back to Adam themselves. And they could trace their way back to Moses, the great prophet. And they had the laws, the great moral laws that should govern all people and all life. And so the Greek was proud of his philosophy and his standing and his origins. And the Jew was proud of his choosing and of his law. But none of the prophets with all that they had to pronounce and all the laws that were given to them and none of the philosophers with all their wisdom that they brought to bear brought salvation to any of them it was powerless to save that power to save resided in the gospel alone their sense of privilege and their self-aggrandizement before that privilege had not brought to them any part in salvation like the lowest slave in Rome they were completely dependent on the gospel alone to save them, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's start there. All of you need to be saved by this gospel, Paul's saying. And here's the last observation. This power of God, this gospel power, as powerful as it is, cannot save anyone who does not believe in it. The gospel can save anyone who believes, and it can't save anyone who doesn't. The Greek and the Jew have little advantage over anyone else, therefore because they can't boast in their powerful intellects. They can't boast in their powerful moral conduct in keeping the law. They, like the weakest and most sorry of sinners, have but one means of being touched by the power of the gospel, and that is they by faith must reach out with empty hand to take hold of it and touch it and believe it and embrace it, to trust. Otherwise, they're still lost. They're still in their sins. 
they're not saved. They're not saved. This faith is not the application of some intellectual ability then of the Greek. It's not the application or residing or resting in moral performance of the Jew. It's, it's the feeble hand stretched out in trust to take hold of Jesus. It is trust and hope in Him alone as the final and the one and only answer for our need of salvation. Some years ago, I was in Quito, Ecuador. I, I've shared this as a personal testament with anybody. Uh, Ignacio's wife is not here this morning. I was in Quito, Ecuador, and I was doing a training with over 500 pastors. At the end of it, we sent them to different parts of the city to engage just for a day or an afternoon and an evening in some just door-to-door evangelism, just some experience where we could get them out going door-to-door and doing evangelism. So they, they dispersed by buses to different locations, and Maylene went with me. You all know Maylene. Maylene is about four foot eleven, five foot, five foot one, if she's in heels. And as we were going out, I made mention that in the evening we would invite the people that we went and visited to come to some open area and we'd do a little open air preaching. One of the pastors in our little group would have to preach. Well, none of them wanted to preach. Not one of them. All of them were too fearful to preach. So I turned to Maylene and I said, Maylene, you're going to have to do the preaching tonight. You're going to have to be the Deborah here. And you're going to have to preach. And so we went door to door in this community. We visited with a number of different individuals. And that evening we came down to a setting. We were on the side of Quito, Ecuador. The sun was setting and there was a little a mercantile. And in front of this mercantile that had a, one of those Dutch doors, the top of the door was opened up. And so there was a little light in the mercantile. And Maylene was standing right in front of that Dutch door. And the light was radiating from her. It looked like, she looked like a little angel there. And then behind her, you could see the sun setting over the city of Quito and the lights coming in and this, like a bowl of diamonds. And it was a little bit of an amphitheater on the side of the hill. On the other side, there were some homes and they were pitched a little higher, but it created an amphitheater. People began to gather on the sidewalk on the other side of the street and on the street that was at an angle. It was so steep there. And people were leaning out the windows as Meline began to preach. It's the greatest sermon I ever heard. I don't even speak Spanish, but I knew what she was preaching. She stated what her text was. I found it. She was preaching on the woman who had an issue of blood in in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. And a woman who had gone to all kinds of physicians and couldn't find any help. I could tell that she was giving a list of all the doctors she went to and everywhere she went that none of them could help her and she didn't have any answer. Then she finally said, well, there's this great man, Jesus, who's coming and if, if I could just go near to him, And the crowd was so great she couldn't even get near to him. And then she thought, if I could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, he'll cleanse me, he'll make me whole. And she reached out and touched the hem of his garment and she was immediately cleansed from this issue of blood that had alienated her from community and kept her from being a part of the community. And then she took that story and began to relate it to the spiritual need of the people. All your life you've known that you have sin in your life and that you're stained and that you're not right and you have its guilt and you've tried to find answers for it and so you've gone to this place and you've said I'll do this and I'll pray this prayer and I'll do this religious act and you've tried all kinds of things until you've given up and decided there's no hope for your life. You've tried everything you could to find a way to make up for your sin but it still remains. You're still filled with the disease and the contagion of sin and there's no answer for you but I'm telling you now the Lord Jesus is present. He's come, he's died for your sins, he's risen from the dead. Tonight, if you would, by a simple hand, reached out and trust, lay hold of the hem of his garment and believe that he's done everything necessary for your sins to be forgiven and be right with God, you can know his cleansing, you can know his life, 
And you know his forgiveness because the Bible says he is the great physician. He's the great physician. I got to tell you, she preached a lot better than I did just now. It was in a very quiet and simple little voice, going out sweetly over that community. And as she was speaking, you could see the tears beginning to form in the people nearby me. You could see more and more bodies leaning out of the windows above us, listening. Bodies hanging out the window in the mercantile building that she was standing in front of. She gave a little altar call for individuals to come, reach out their hand in faith, and access the power of the gospel. It was the very message that had power. It wasn't the person, wonderful as our little Maylene is, as great an ability as God may invest in her. It wasn't the person. It wasn't the setting. It wasn't the backlighting of that moment. It was the power of the gospel. It was the power of the gospel to save those who believe. And speaking it simply, bring individuals to believe. It's come to us. And now it's resting in us. And it's a message that's been given to us. Let's share it with others. Let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, I would pray for every member of our body here present. I ask dear God that they might equip themselves with just a simple understanding of the gospel. That they might be prepared to speak it in the lives of those who would listen. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.